This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Thank you. All right, I had you open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because Bill asked me to preach on the spiritual gifts and then spend a little bit of time just teaching on the gift of prophecy in particular. The title of my message is Concerning Spiritual Gifts, and we're going to read the first 11 verses there in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one Speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. May God bless the preaching of his holy word. We live in a physical Material, traffic jam, fast-paced, schedule-packed world. We feel the pressures of work and of raising our family and providing for ourselves. And in this particular year, navigating a pandemic. Our cars break down. The, houses on, the roofs on our houses need replaced. We have to go to see the doctor more frequently as we get older. See, all of these things serve as daily reminders that we live in a physical, material world. And what we must be careful as Christians that we don't allow the demands and effects of living in a physical world to lull us into forgetting that as followers of Christ, we are spiritual people. If we as Christians forget that we are spiritual people, we will live unaware of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Richard Lovelace makes this observation. The failure to recognize the Holy Spirit as personally present in our lives is widespread in the churches today. Even where Christians know about the Holy Spirit doctrinally, they have not necessarily made a deliberate point to getting him to know him personally. A normal relationship with the Holy Spirit should at least approximate the Old Testament experience described in Psalm 139. A profound awareness that we are always face to face with God. That as we move through this life, 
the presence of his spirit is the most real and powerful factor in our daily environment. That underneath the momentary static of events and conflicts and problems and even excursions into sin, he, meaning the spirit, is always there. So Christian, do you, do you believe that the Holy Spirit is always there? See, we can't allow the demands of living in this physical world to numb us to the reality that as Christians, we are spiritual people. Now, in opening this section of the letter to the Corinthians, where Paul is going to discuss the spiritual gifts in chapters 12 through 14, he begins the conversation by drawing their attention to the truth that they, the Corinthians, are spiritual people. He does that in verses 2 and 3 by reminding them of who they were. Once they were pagans who were being led astray by mute idols. But now they are people that declare that Jesus is Lord. And it's clear from verse 3 that only those who have been regenerated by the Spirit of God and at conversion indwelt with the Spirit of God, only those can declare that Jesus is Lord. This, this verse is, is vital in understanding the rest of this text that addresses the spiritual gifts in a couple of ways. First, before Paul narrows the discussion to talk about the spiritual gifts, he references here a broad work of the Spirit. And in particular, the regenerating work of the Spirit. Verse 3 is a reference to the regenerating work of the Spirit that Jesus talks, taught about in John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. You remember those verses? That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's what Jesus said, indicating the regenerating work of the Spirit when we are born again. For those of us sitting here this morning as Christians, we once were dead in our sins and trespasses until God acted upon us, until the Spirit convicted us of sin and revealed to us our need for a Savior and regenerated us so that we went from death to life and were born again by the Spirit of God. So that's just one reference of the many works of the Spirit. He references here in verse 3 the broad work of the Spirit. Second, we know from verse 3 that at conversion, we are indwelt with the Spirit of God as believers. And that is a reminder that as Christians, we daily need to be filled with the Spirit. Which is why Paul writes in Ephesians 5.18, in present tense language, be filled with the Spirit. You see, Christians are spiritual people who daily need to be filled with the Spirit so that we can experience the presence and power of the Spirit of God in our lives. Let me ask you, don't you want to experience more of the Spirit's presence and more of the Spirit's power, especially in 2020, in your life? I would venture to guess you do. And one of the ways that we experience the Spirit's work in our lives is that we use our spiritual gifts, which is why Paul begins this section of the letter with now concerning spiritual gifts. Now, this is very relevant to you as a church. 
Because you as a church and we as a family of churches, we don't believe the gifts have ceased. Uh, The theological term is cessationist. You are not a cessationist church. Rather, you as a church and we as a family of churches believe that the gifts are given and will continue to be used until Christ returns, which is why we describe ourselves as continuationists. So what Paul has to say here in these 11 verses is very relevant to you as a church. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you four characteristics of the spiritual gifts, and then I'm going to teach a little bit about the gift of prophecy that we enjoyed this morning. So here's the first characteristic. Gifts are given and empowered by God. Gifts are given and empowered by God. We see that in verses 4 through 6 and verse 11. Let's read those again. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What's striking here in verses 4 through 6 is that every member of the Trinity is mentioned. The Holy Spirit in verse 4. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God in verse 5, and God the Father in verse 6. And did you note, before each member of the Trinity is referenced there in those verses, Paul uses this word varieties, varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. So what Paul is saying is that God has given you as a church varieties of gifts, a diversity of gifts, and that, those varieties of gifts, they, they have a, their roots in the diversity and unity of the Trinity itself. So every member of the Trinity is fully God. They are united in that sense. And yet every, each member of the Trinity has a specific role or a specific way that they serve, a specific function. And according to verse 11, God has given us gifts. He's given each of you gifts, and God empowers those gifts, that, those diverse gifts, so that you use them to serve others. And when you do that, when you use your gifts, you reveal the glory of God because you reveal a truth about the diversity and the Trinity, uh, the diversity and the unity of the Trinity. See, it's, it's real important that we don't miss this theological construct that we find here in verses 4 through 6 in looking at the spiritual gifts because God gives the gifts to reveal His glory, to reveal something about the Trinity. God never gives gifts to us so that we would draw attention to ourselves. That's why that theological construct is one of the reasons why it's so important the, the gifts are given to draw great attention to our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you have come from a church past where your church didn't believe in the gifts, and so you're here and you've wrestled through that and you're, you're open to the gifts, but you've seen them used in some wrong ways, and so maybe you're just a little bit hesitant. You've seen gifts used in a way that draws a lot of attention to people, is what I'm trying to say. Well, you should know that because of these verses, this is an error that this church and our family of churches is seeking to avoid. 
Because we always want to use our gifts to serve others and use them in a way that that draws great attention to God and brings our Trinitarian God much glory. Now, it seems intentional here that in these 11 verses, twice we are being told that God empowers the gifts. We see that in verse 6 and in verse 11. So right, right away, we are alert to the fact that we are dependent upon God to use our gifts. We, we need His power that comes to us through the work of the Spirit to use our gifts. But, but what are these gifts? What's a good definition of the spiritual gifts? I like this one from Boyd Hunt. Spiritual gifts are God empowering His people through the Holy Spirit for kingdom life and service, enabling them in attitude and action to live and minister in a manner which glorifies Christ. Now, some gifts look a little bit more maybe natural, like gifts. You you see that in maybe the gift of helping and the gift of administration that you find here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. Some of the gifts look a little bit more supernatural, like the gift of healing in verse 9 and the gift of prophecy in verse 10. Gifts, as they are described and as they are used in the New Testament, is really a description of a broad or diverse or a variety of abilities and gifts that God has given His people to minister to each other in a way that draws glory and attention to Jesus Christ. Spiritual gifts are given by God and empowered by God so that each of you can participate in kingdom life and in ministry and in gospel mission. That's the first characteristic. Second characteristic, gifts are a manifestation of God's presence. Gifts are a manifestation of God's presence. We see that in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So God actually manifests His presence among us when we use our gifts And we can be aware that He is among us as we use our gifts. Max Turner says this, The thread running through the whole discussion here in chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, is that the phenomena Paul lists are regarded as events in which the Spirit is made manifest. That is, the Spirit's activity coming to relatively clear, even dramatic expression. They are workings of God in which the presence and activity of divine power is judged to be a matter of immediate perception. So what God loves to do is to fill ordinary people like you and me with the Holy Spirit and empower the gifts that God has given us so that we minister to others, so that we serve others, so that we use our gifts in a way that people are aware and you are aware of God's presence. So if you're here this morning, you're one of those that desires more of God's presence. You are thirsty for more of the Spirit. The, The one thing that you know you can do to experience God is actually to use your gifts. Because as you use your gifts, you will experience God. Or or flip it around the other way. You have people around you who have gifts. So go to your community group and ask them to pray for you and to use their gifts to serve you. And in those moments, you will experience the Spirit of God. 
I think for about 25 years now, we have been doing a, a youth camp at my church, Covenant Fellowship Church. My, my, all my kids went to, to youth camp, and this is a story from a youth camp a couple of years ago. A young lady in our church, Katora Snyder, their, their family's been a member of our church for I don't know how long, just a long time. And it was one evening after the preaching that we were just praying for some of the youth and there were some of these uh, young ladies gathered together in a group and a man in our church by the name of Henry Cooper, who we believe and have seen that he does have the gift of healing, just came up and began to pray. And he asked any, uh, if any of them uh, needed prayer because they, they, they were deaf or they, couldn't, they, had, they were hard of hearing. And Couture Snyder, she raised her hand. Her mom writes that she's deaf in her left ear. She was deaf in her left ear. Keturah was born, uh, since she was born, has not been able to hear out of her left ear. She has all the bones in her ear canal, but because of a deformed ear canal, she's not able to hear. And so Henry prayed for her. The, her friends prayed for her. And Keturah felt, felt just in the moment that, that, that something different about her ear was happening. It was the Sunday after that that she went to her mom and she said, I, I think I can hear out of my left ear. And so her, her mom, Lori, writes, um, what I've done is I've been, when I whispered to her in her left ear, she could never hear what I said. So on that morning, I wanted to see, could she hear that left ear? And so she whispered in her daughter's left ear, and Katira could clearly hear everything that she said. They wanted to do one more check, so they got headphones and put it in the left ear. She'd never been able to hear through headphones in, the, in her left ear, and on that morning, she could hear. That's a clear manifestation of God's presence, isn't it? Even a dramatic expression of God's presence. It reminds us that God still heals today. He does the healing, right? But he uses the person at times who has the gift of healing. Gifts are a manifestation of God's presence. Okay, third characteristic, gifts are for the common good. They are for the common good. You saw that verse in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation for what? For the common good. Verse 7 is very clear that the gifts are given for the common good. They're, they're given to serve others and to strengthen Cornerstone Church. All the gifts listed in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12 and, and in Romans 12 and in Ephesians 4 and in 1 Peter 4, they're all given for that purpose for the common good and to strengthen the church. Again, gifts are given not to draw attention to ourselves, but to serve others and to draw great attention to Jesus Christ. Max Turner again says this, the gift of the Spirit to believers affords the whole experiential dimension of the Christian life, which is essentially charismatic in nature. These charismata, that's the Greek word for gifts, these gifts operate at individual and corporate levels, enabling a life-giving, joyful understanding of and ability to apply the gospel, impelling and enabling different services to others in the church, and driving and empowering the mission to proclaim the good news. So your gospel ministry, here at Cornerstone, and your gospel mission here at Cornerstone is dependent upon the empowering of the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, fourth, fourth characteristic of, of the gifts. And this is more of an exhortation than a characteristic, but I, I kept with the characteristic language. Here's, here it is. Keep the gifts connected to the gospel. Keep the gifts connected to the gospel. One of, one of the errors that the charismatic world is, pro, is prone to make is they, they are prone to put an overemphasis on the gifts. And because of that overemphasis on the gifts, they sort of separate them from the gospel itself. Scripture never makes that error. Scripture never does that. Just this letter illustrates that. The way this letter is structured tells us that the gifts are given to further the work of the gospel in our lives. So Paul begins this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, saying, I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That, that truth, Christ and Him crucified, it threads through all the rest of the letter. It flavors everything He's going to talk about, whether it's sexual immorality or idolatry or the gifts. And then He, he begins to wrap up this letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, and He says, this is of first importance. Does He say the gifts are of first importance? No. What, what's of first importance? That Christ died for our sins. So he begins with the gospel. Christ and him crucified flavors the whole letter and he ends the letter by reminding us that of first importance, which is the gospel, and sandwiched in between are these three chapters on the gifts. The structure of the letter itself tells us that the gifts are given so that when we use them, they encourage the work of the gospel in our lives. And when it comes to the gift of prophecy, we know from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 and 25, that actually that gift in particular can reveal the secrets of an unbeliever's heart and cause them to fall on their knees and glorify God. That the gift of prophecy can actually be used to awaken someone's awareness that they need a Savior. There's a course we do in our church called the Bridge Course at used to be called Alpha. We made some adjustments and called it Bridge. It's a 10-week introduction to Christianity. It's modeled after Alpha, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Um, unbelievers come to our church, and they, we have dinner with them, and then they hear a, a, a teaching, and then they break down into small groups, and they talk about that teaching. We've had hundreds of people come through that course and saved, and are, many of them are now members of our church. And just a few years ago, we were in a course, and a, a lady who has the gift of prophecy in our church by the name of Lila was leading one of those small groups. It was the 10th week, and there is a couple in that group, Bill and Vivian, who had yet to give their life to Christ. Bill is 89, and Vivian 83. And during that 10-week period, they didn't talk at all. They, they kept showing up, but they didn't say a word the whole time. They were just stone-faced for 10 weeks. And so it's the last night, and they'd had dinner, and Jim Donahue, had, Jim Donahue had taught, and they were having this conversation. They were about ready. They were wrapping up the meeting. And then somebody said, Let, let's just pray. So as they were praying, Lila just had this prophetic impression for Bill. I want to share it with you. She said, Bill, as we were praying, I see an old pickup truck from the 1950s that you're fixing. 
parts from this truck are laying all over your garage floor and they're full of grease. And I believe the Lord has shown me this picture because those parts laying all over the floor are a picture of your life. That you're a man who's felt very fragmented and because you felt so fragmented, even alone. But God wants you to know that he sees you as a whole person. Complete and not fragmented. And he wants you, Bill, to be free in Christ. So I pray that God would, I went on to pray that God would enable him to see the depths of God's love for Bill as a complete person. And Lila said she looked up and looked at Bill and said, does that make any sense to you? This 89-year-old man has tears running down his face. He said, it makes total sense to me. You just describe my life, and I don't even know why I'm crying. She went on to share the gospel again with Bill. And after sharing the gospel, asked if he wanted to respond by receiving Christ as his Savior. And he immediately said, oh, yes. And we believe, as far as we know, that this 89-year-old man was born again on that evening. Keep the gifts connected to the gospel. They, they are used to edify you when you hear prophetic words on a Sunday morning, for example, that strengthen you and strengthen the work of the gospel in your life. And there may be prophetic words shared here on a morning where there are people who don't yet know Christ as their Savior, and they have that experience like Bill. Okay, let's take a little bit of a quick look at the, the gift of prophecy in particular. As you know from verse 10 here, prophecy is a gift that God has given us. It's also listed in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, and 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. In fact, flip over to 1 Corinthians 14. We're just going to read the first five verses there. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So we see prophecy and tongues being compared there in the, in the corporate setting in Corinth. So what is the gift of prophecy? Here's the definition we use at our church at Covenant Fellowship. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Now, you got to be careful with that word revelation. We don't mean revel by using the word revelation that the things we prophesy are now going to be added to the canon of Scripture, right? The canon of Scripture is closed. And you say, well, why do you use the word revelation then? Because it's the word that Paul uses here in, in 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, there it is, a tongue, and interpretation. Then go to verse 30. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one. So obviously in those two verses, he's connecting the gift of prophecy to the word revelation there. 
Wayne Gruden makes this wonderful observation regarding that word revelation. He says the, the revelation which comes is thought by Paul to be of divine, not human origin. This is evident first from the fact that the word Paul uses for revelation occurs 44 times in the New Testament and never refers to human activity or communication. Rather, whenever the New Testament speaks of a revelation, it is always given by the activity of God. So what we heard here this morning at the mic is a prophetic word. Someone is reporting what they believe the Holy Spirit has brought to mind. And that's not an ordinary thing that occurred here this morning. That is God's presence among us and reminds us, brothers and sisters, that God does speak to us today. Now, you've got to get this right. The primary way God speaks to us is through His Word. That's the primary way. You want to hear God, you regularly read His Word. But at times, God will use the New Testament gift of prophecy to speak and to encourage and to edify. This prophecy, this gift of prophecy, it, it is imperfect. It has no authority, but it does serve a wonderful purpose. So what is the, the purpose of the gift of prophecy? God gives it to his church for edification. He, he gives the gift of prophecy to this church to edify you. You see that in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for what reason? Their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. I, I, would, I, would want, I want you to do this later. Read all of this chapter. One of the things that always affects me when I read the entire chapter here in 1 Corinthians 14 is this repetitive language that's used. And here's the language of the church being built up. It's, it's repeated six times in this chapter. You see it in verses 3, 4, 5, 12, 17, and 26. Knowing that this is God's holy and inspired word, that repetition tells us that God is communicating his heart to his people. That when you gather, what he desires to do is not tear you down, but to build you up, to edify you, to console you when you need consoled. That, that's real important because most of us, including me, we can have this tendency, I believe as John Owen originally said, to have these hard thoughts about God. Maybe you arrived here this morning with hard thoughts about God. You've had a challenging week and you did all you could do to get yourself here. Or you're watching on live stream and you did all you could do to roll out of bed so you could watch. Maybe you just had a week where you've just been frustrated and as a result sinned a lot. Maybe you're impatient with your kids and you arrive here or you're, if you're watching over live stream and you just think, man, God must sort of be fed up with me. This chapter and that repetitive language tells you those are hard thoughts about God. And maybe even hear the prophetic words that you heard this morning. Maybe they spoke to you and they reminded you of God's heart for you. He loves you, that he saved you, and that he wants to build you up. Just um, a couple of years ago, um, it wasn't on a Sunday morning. It was in a, in a, a bigger meeting 
that I do quarterly at our church. We do these quarterly meetings called Exploring the Gift of Prophecy that any member of the church can come. And a lady that evening came by the name of Alita Cross. And uh, she said, I, you know, she wrote me later and she just said, I, was, I didn't want to come. I was hesitant to come. I thought meetings like that were for the super saints. I don't know who that is, but she, uh, Lila that I mentioned earlier convinced her to come. And during that evening, we had a chance to pray for, for Alita. Here's what she said after that time of prayer and prophetic ministry. She said, I didn't have any expectations for the prayer time. So when virtual strangers, and, and our church is a big church like your church. There are people that still haven't met one another. So that, that literally is true. So when virtual strangers prayed, and spoken to areas of deep insecurity, even using phrases and terminology that mimic some of the self-talk that cycles through my mind. I was struck to the core. She writes, God. Then she writes, God, capital G, capital O, capital D. God knows my fears and the default lines and spoke healing words to them, I was blown away and continue to be every time I recall that evening. Thoughts that only she has. She's now hearing people speak, and she knows those aren't coming from those people. That's coming from God that brought her, here, brought her there that evening to care for her. That's remarkable. It's remarkable that the God of the universe chose on that evening to care for Alita and to build her up in that way. Prophecy, the gift of prophecy is given to edify the church. Okay, a couple of limitations that prophecy has, and then we'll wrap up. There's two that I want to talk about. Here's the first limitation of prophecy, of the New Testament gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is affected by our finite and fallen humanists. It's affected by our finite and fallen humanness. Our ability to give and receive prophetic words is imperfect. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Now, the, the prophecies that are found in Scripture are infallible. Prophetic words we share today are fallible, which means that we can make mistakes. Now, we don't pray for mistakes. We don't want mistakes to be made, but we can make mistakes, which is why it says there in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29, that the others weigh what is said. In other words, when you heard prophetic words this morning, you need to evaluate them according to Scripture and according to the wisdom of God and, and, and wise counsel. Now, I could, have, I could have devised a whole sermon on the mistakes I've made in using my gifts and the gift of prophecy in particular. So I'll just tell you one quick story. I tell this story because if you have the gift of prophecy or you desire the gift of prophecy, I don't want you to be fearful about making mistakes uh, if you make them because they are opportunities to cultivate humility. And if you respond rightly, they can actually engender some trust. So we were at a staff meeting at Covenant Fellowship Church that Jared Mellinger, our senior pastor, was leading. We have a staff of about 20 folks. We gathered them together. It was about two weeks before Christmas, and we were praying for them. And so I shared this prophetic word with Jared that I thought I had an impression I had for the group. And so, yeah, go ahead and share that. So I, the impression was essentially this, that there was someone among our staff 
who was just, just had a lot of trepidation and was anxious and fearful about the holidays because there was, a, there was a, just this tension and co- unresolved conflict with an extended family member that was unresolved, and they were just, just not looking forward to seeing them. So I shared, I shared that word uh, with the group that was gathered there, and I, I stopped and I said, does that apply to anybody here at all? And they did what you're doing with me right now. They just stared at me. So, of course, in my pride, I said, well, are, are you sure there's no one here like that at all? And again, they stared at me. And I said, I miss it sometimes. We've got to remember that the gifts are given by God, but they're given to fallen and finite people like me. And so I went about my day. It was about two in the afternoon. There was a knock on the door, and one of our staff members walked in and just said, Mark, I want to thank you for responding that way. It really helped me to hear you say that. And actually, it helps me to trust you guys when you share prophetic words. So you need to take any prophetic word that you receive and submit it to Scripture and to prayer and counsel. Uh, This pastoral team, I'm sure, doesn't want you making life-changing decisions based on a prophetic word. Okay, second limitation, the gift of prophecy has no authority, has no authority in your life. Prophetic words given today do not carry an authority on their own. We have one authority in our life, and that is this. This is the Word of God. And so all prophetic words shared must be measured in light of Scripture and submitted to Scripture. And because of that reason, because of those two weaknesses that I just mentioned, it's clear from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29, that this gift is to be governed. Which is why your pastoral team has someone here at the mic, whether one of them or a leader in the church, to listen to these prophetic words and determine whether they're going to be shared or not. And actually, if you've got the gift of prophecy, this is a great deal for you, because all you've got to do is bring up your word and just burden him. He's got to decide whether it's going to be shared or not. You're free at that point, whether you share your word or not. You might think, doesn't government restrain or constrain the work of the Spirit And the answer to that is no. People with the gift of prophecy will tell you that actually it frees them up to use the gift of prophecy in a way that God designs. Okay, let's let's just close with this. Gifts are given to each one of you. Each one of you. And they are empowered by God through His Spirit. They're given to each one of you to serve one another. To edify this church and to encourage the work of the gospel in this church and outside of this church. And when you use your gifts biblically and with humility, you use them in a way that draw great attention to the giver of the gifts, our Trinitarian God, and you bring him much glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you just how your heart comes through the word. And we thank you in particular for 1 Corinthians 14 where six times you, you remind us that it's your desire to build up the church. And I pray that this church, Cornerstone Church, would continue to be built up and encouraged and consoled and strengthened through all of the gifts. Lord, I pray that you would fill everyone here with your spirit often and empower the gifts, and that they would use them in a way that brings you 
exclusive glory. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.